And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis in a hotel room in New Orleans uh, with basically no sleep under my belt. Joined by Ari Wasserman, who's not in a hotel in New Orleans. He's in a uh, very well-appointed apartment house in Dallas, Texas. Ari, what the hell happened on Friday night? Uh, apartment house? Uh, um, apartment I, house. Uh, I don't know what happened on Friday night. Uh, the thing that we said had to happen for them to win happened in the most extraordinary fashion. And, like, a lot of people were tweeting at me uh, and us. So I can't – I'm so happy you guys were so wrong about the game. And it's just like – I don't know that we were wrong. I think we were right to not expect that because what that was was, was incredible. Um, and, you know, sometimes things click and, and they come together. But, you know, the, the number one thing that I remember thinking going into the game is how can Ryan Day – and this coaching staff get this team clicking on all cylinders uh, when they looked pretty bad in their last outing, and they only have you know seven to ten days to get ready for this game. Um, COVID issues still occurring apparently, and you know they came out and played like it was the Super Bowl. Like it, it, it I, I know that I'm known for hyperbole, but it did start to start feeling a little bit like the 2014 run, where it's like, oh my God, this team is really, really good. And like I'm sure we'll get into this later on in the podcast, Bill. But like I'm at the point now where I'm not sure who I'm picking for the national title game. Like, and I don't know how we got here. Yeah. If you uh, if you expected that, uh, you're either uh, one, paid by Ohio State, two, play for Ohio State, or three, like, wear Ohio State underwear on the regular. If you're not one of those three people, then and you said you expected what happened in the Sugar Bowl, you're full of shit. Ohio State uh, beats Clemson 49-28, to put up almost 700 yards of offense, had almost 400 yards of offense in the first half. Justin Fields played out of his mind. Trey Sermon played out of his mind. Ohio State's offensive line played out of their minds. The tight ends were catching touchdown passes. The defense was getting timely stops and takeaways and got after Trevor Lawrence in a way that I wasn't sure was possible. Uh, the secondary was a little leaky, but but good enough. Justin Hilliard is like, I guess he's playing like a 37-year-old man shit, so good for him. Uh, but but it was it was not shocking because I think we discussed coming into the game that it was possible that we were just totally underselling how good Ohio State is because we just didn't have enough sample size to know. Well, now we know. They're really damn good. Like, I think good enough to win a national championship. I don't know where I'm at on my pick yet, but I'm with you. 
It's like, I, I think everyone came into this playoff thinking it's going to be Alabama and Clemson, and Alabama's going to win. Now it's Alabama and Ohio State, and I think Ohio State can win. They play like that, they can. They're going to be able to score. Uh, but the, I, I want to push back on you a little bit. I would say that was shocking. I think we both said that yeah, if Ohio okay. State won in blowout fashion, that we wouldn't be shocked, or if Ohio State won, that we wouldn't be shocked. But I think the domination in all facets of the game, where I don't know, Ohio State fans were probably nervous at certain times, but there were after Ohio State went on a twenty-one zero run in the second quarter. I don't know that I think I ever thought that they were going to lose again. And it's not just like shocking because what the score was; it's shocking because everything that you could have questions about in this game came out the other side not looking like they got away with a weakness, but looking like a strength. Mm-hmm. Like right now, you could sit back and say, this pass rush, the way that Jonathan Cooper played, the way that the interior lineman played, the way that Tyreek Smith may have had the best game of his career. Like now all of a sudden, the pass rush might be a strength. And all of a sudden, the running back situation. I have no idea what's going That guy ate his Wheaties. Like, yeah. I mean, go back and, and listen to every single edition of this podcast for the past two months, and all it was was me saying, Bill, I'm going to be telling you in the playoff they didn't win. What is that? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I guess this is a good time to say I was wrong, and clearly I was, but, like, should I be embarrassed about being wrong about that? That is insane. And I, I tweeted this, and I want to get your take. Mm-hmm. Has there been a individual in-season transformation more stark in the last 10 years from your rec- that you can recall. And like people mm. like Cardale Jones, well, it's like that's not an in-season transformation. That's just somebody who wasn't playing, playing well when he got a chance to play. Yeah, that's different. And like, I don't know, like Ezekiel Elliott was another popular answer, and I, I don't really remember how we felt about Zeke or what he was at the beginning of the 2014 season. And I guess he went from solid, really good running back to like – one of the best players in Ohio State history at the end of that season alone. So I think I could accept that answer. But like a player that went from, I'm not sure if he's good enough to play here or or good enough to stay here long term and be the answer at running back to, is he going to have like a slice of Ohio State history to being the guy that propped them up to get them over to Clemson Hump and then potentially the national championship? The difference between how I viewed Trey Sermon a month ago and how I view him now, I don't think there's ever been a more stark difference in season than maybe Troy Smith's uh, transformation in 2005. I-, I can't think of one in the time that I've been covering a team since 2014. Um, Zeke wasn't great in 14 like during the year, but he was still good. People like I think a lot of people thought Trey Sermon was bad. <laughs> like he wasn't. I thought he was bad. He wasn't. He wasn't playing well. And even Ryan Day was like, "Yeah, we didn't know what we had. We don't know this guy. It looked like he wasn't running the ball authoritatively. He was missing openings, and like they had the role with him because it was him or Master Teague. But like I, I think before maybe the Michigan State game, Ohio State wasn't totally sure what it had with Trey Sermon. I sure as hell wasn't. Um, a month ago, if they would have said, "Are you one hundred percent sure that Ohio State would have him back next year?" Would you say yes? 100% sure that he would not go to the NFL, you mean? No, like if he wanted to come back, that he would have Oh, a spot. oh right, right. No, I don't think they would have taken him, like based off the way he was playing in the first four games of the year. It's like, and now is he there. like a top three round pick? Like, like, or I don't know, like is he a second round running back now? He might be. I talked to Jim Nagy, uh, the, the executive director of the uh, Senior Bowl, for a story I wrote last week coming into this game, and like he loves Trey Sermon. And I, I think maybe he has to say he loves everybody who's going to the Senior Bowl, but... He said they had like Trey at the top of their list all along, so like maybe they've been right and we've just been slow to come around on him. I don't think that's the case. I think this dude's different now. Um, but if he's that, then yeah, yeah. There were there were quite a few guys I think who made themselves some NFL money um, on Friday night, and and I don't want to get too bogged down on that because we're talking about college football and Ohio State's got a national title to win. But there was money made for sure in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I mean the top three money makers in the Sugar Bowl probably were Trey Sermon. Jonathan Cooper and Justin Hilliard, right? Yeah, I also like I was, think I wasn't I, even sure that Justin Hilliard was going to even be able to finish out his career at Ohio State, let alone like that's the thing. Like, go down the list. A year ago, when we had the podcast after Ohio State lost to Clemson, it was the eight things that went wrong for Ohio State to lose this game, that game, right? Yep. This year, I think you could make a list of eight things that are bonkers that happened that you weren't expecting or banking on that happened for Ohio State that turned into a blowout. And it's just like it was the complete opposite of what uh, anybody would have expected. Like, I was complaining about their pass rush, and, like, Trevor Lawrence was more – maybe that was the most rattled he's ever looked in his entire career. Like, Jonathan Cooper's blowing offensive tackles off the ball. And Justin Hilliard is making – 
huge stops on on read option plays and falling on fumbles or creating it's like Tyreek Smith the guy who hasn't been able to stop being injured his entire career is strip sacking Trevor Lawrence uh Trey Serban turns into Eddie George I mean I have I mean even like the juice man scored a touchdown on a playoff game yep like I mean it's just there was a there I, I, I tweeted this during the game there was it was in a th- it was in the third quarter it was a huge drive in the third quarter. It was I, th- I think it might have been when Ohio State got the ball back after Clemson scored to make it 35-21, like fields through the pick, and then Clemson marched down the field and scored, and it was a 14-point game like very early in the third quarter, and you're like, okay, th- like this game is still very much in the balance. And it was a huge drive for Ohio State. And I looked out on the field, and Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Parrish Johnson, and Mayan Williams were all on the field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they and they all looked awesome. <laughs> they yeah. scored. Yeah, I know. It's like I was thinking about this, too. It's just, listen, Justin Fields against Clemson in a college football playoff game threw as many touchdown passes as he had incompletions. Yep. He did it, and I'm sure we'll get into this quite a bit on the podcast, but he had a Hercules, a Herculean, how do, what's the word? Herculean. Herculean-type play, and I'm not sure we know that he doesn't have a fractured rib. I mean, like when he went down on that hit, I thought he might be done for the game just because of like medically, you know, he got hit in the side where your kidneys and appendix are. I mean, his ribs, I mean that I thought there was a chance he might not come back. Uh, and then he comes out into the game and throws a touchdown. It was like the Michigan thing all over again, except against Clemson, the real rival, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, that to me though, of all the things that happened in the game, like Justin Fields playing that well, shouldn't have been the surprising thing. Now he played poorly at times, um, this year and didn't have his best game against Northwestern, made some turnovers in the Indiana game. It's all been well documented. But he just might have had legitimately one of the best games from a quarterback in Ohio State history. And he did it on the biggest stage against one of the best opponents that they could face. And against a team that actually had Ohio State's number. You know, and like we'll get into the the hierarchy discussion and what this means for the program and all this stuff. But like Justin Fields doing what he did was a must in order to be a blowout. But I think he went above and beyond what he had to do in order to win that football game. I think the most interesting dynamic from all the, from this game though, more than anything is how Ohio state has seemed to find strengths in places of, of weakness. And, you know, as we get into the Alabama discussion, of course, it's going to be about Devonte Smith and can the secondary stop them, but it's just like, Clemson scored 28 points. Like, I think that that is, like, an amazing defensive performance. And it's like, if you can hold Alabama to 38, then I think you gave yourself a chance to win. So, you know, they they didn't even – like, Clemson didn't get everything they even wanted. And and they they could have scored, what, 15 more points, and it still wouldn't have been close. So, you know, it's like a – it's – I'm honestly – the result of this football game is more shocking to me than – it is as shocking in the positive as Ohio State getting their ass kicked by Iowa was in the negative. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I want to drill down some on, like, you said, like, last year we listed the the whatever the things had to go wrong for Ohio State to lose, and then there were the, the inverse of that happened on Friday night, all the things that happened for Ohio State to have to win that game the way it did. Um, like, what of that you think is replicable, and what of that – you think isn't like what what maybe it's all of it maybe all you think all of it can be carried forward against Alabama but let's start with the, with the defense thing that you just mentioned like they like them string they strung together f- basically four consecutives or three I guess three consecutive stops at the end of the first half when Ohio State built its lead up to 21 points Clemson averaged three yards per play had one first down on its final four possessions and one was the end of the half so I guess it doesn't really count but it was like 11 plays and 32 yards to close the first half for Clemson after they I think they went touchdown punt touchdown and we thought they were just going to be trading scores all night Ohio State's defense strung together stops had two takeaways had another turnover on downs it was I I think that was probably as complete of a defensive performance as you can ask from from Ohio State ask for from Ohio State given its limitations given what Clemson is given that stage can it be taken forward against an Alabama team that is probably better everywhere on offense other than quarterback Okay, so we're staying only on defense. Yeah, um, for now. Can we just mention the fact that they didn't have Zach Harrison? Or Tyler Friday. Or Tyler Friday, and that is what happened? Mm-hmm. 
So yes, I think that can be replicated. I think Jonathan Cooper playing the best he's ever played in his career. I think Tyreek Smith healthy and playing with confidence is in the best of his career. I think Todd, we know what Ohio State has in Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett. Those guys were monsters. Um, so yes, I think that's repl- replicable. Um, the thing that I would be most concerned with about the Alabama game would be uh, the secondary. And once they start playing a team like that, you know, it's it's a really hard thing to stop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not even just like me being negative about Ohio State's defense. It's just how good Alabama is. And it's like, I don't even know, like if you took last year's defense where you had no thoughts that they were, weren't good enough and you put the Okuda on the field and you, you know, get everybody back, even Chase Young back, I feel like if they were playing this year against this Alabama team, I think the standard is still to hold them to 35. And like Nick Saban said this himself, and he said earlier in the year, um, great defense in college football is dead. And great offense wins uh, and beats great defense. So, like, I think that the idea that the national championship games over under is 77, I, I think Ohio State is going to have to win a shootout. So, you know, in terms of, like, what would worry me, I don't know that, like, that would be a worry because I think no matter who was back there, Alabama's going to get theirs. It's about whether or not Ohio State can replicate, um, you know, pressure and at least slowing down Bama some, maybe getting a few stops and, and sprinkling it in and, you know, Alabama to me didn't look like completely unstoppable against they didn't even cover the spread against Notre Dame. So back to recovery. I, I I think that I think that all of it is replicable. Yeah, I actually feel Clemson threw for 400 yards and had 28 points and I actually come away from that game like feeling very encouraged about Ohio State's defense and its ability to to not get totally totally run off the field when it gets on when it gets out there against a team like Alabama. Um Sean Wade lost some one-on-ones that, that I think you'd like him to win, and he'll be covering Devontae Smith in a week, and Devontae Smith is way better than anyone Clemson has, so so maybe that could potentially get ugly. But what I really wondered was, was could Ohio State's front generate pressure in the kind of way that's going to bother Trevor Lawrence, and it absolutely did. I agree with you. I, I thought he looked I, I mean, I've only watched him in person twice. I, I thought he looked as rattled as he looked last year, if not more so. And, and granted, his talent around him is, is worse off this year than it was last year. But I thought they got after him. I, I thought they disrupted him, um, certainly enough to, to limit Clemson's offense 28 points. And, and I think like Alabama's offensive line is better. And we'll talk about the matchup more later on in the week. But I think they could maybe do something similar against a Mac Jones who is – not as mobile, not as much of a threat as Trevor Lawrence is, and they're going to have to. Like that's, I think that's where the game is going to get won and lost. It's where I thought this game, for as flashy as it was, was kind of won for Ohio State. They kicked Clemson's ass up front on both sides of the ball, and I think Alabama is better than Clemson on both sides of the ball. But I said coming into the game that I think Ohio State has the best defensive line in the playoff. I feel even stronger about that now, and it turns you out that they might going also, into the game, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, I mean you're, you were right. And I, but I also think I also think maybe they have the best offense, best offensive line now too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, Alabama's offensive line is comparable, though, I think. Yeah, Joe Moorhead finalist. Yeah, they're they're, they're good. You know, I think that the number one thing that I would be worried about going into the next game, and, you know, maybe we'll – table after I say this and and get back to analyzing what this means for Ohio State and all that but the thing I would worry about the most um, in the following game is whether or not Ohio State is physically capable of doing it again I mean they got beaten up pretty bad like Justin Fields like ribs are 
he couldn't even sit down in front of a Zoom camera yesterday without wincing. Um, and that yeah, stuff, I also like, think I think Justin Fields puts a little pepper on it when he gets hurt too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that was a lot of pepper. <laughs> um, but also, like, you know, you've got that. You know, you, there were offensive linemen who went down. Like, I mean, it, you got people that might or may not be back considering that we don't know why they're on the the unavailable report like i don't know like what the covid situation is if some of the guys who were out have it um tyler friday was there um just not dressed uh master teague was there not dressed uh i didn't see zach harrison and i didn't see harry miller yeah um and like it's like funny because it's like when they when matt jones went down they're like, oh, who are they going to bring in? Oh, I don't know, just the number one player or number one offensive lineman in the 2020 class. And he played well, you know, and it's like that's the guy who we thought could start a tackle this year. So, you know, I think that if they can get healthy and, you know, feel good about it, I think 10 days is a much-needed 10-day break. Um, I think that that's a, an encouraging thing for Ohio State, but it's just a matter of whether or not you think Ohio State can do that again. Because if Ohio State can do that again, they can beat Alabama. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I think like what you saw from that defense is, is basically I think like exactly what you need against Alabama. They could they could tackle a little better, um, and that got better as the game wore on. But nasty up front, like linebackers playing really well. Like Justin Hilliard, man, I, I he's a for him to like stick around as long as he stuck around and then like get rewarded to be able to play on this kind of stage. And he was basically their number one Sam linebacker for the majority of the game because Baron Browning was kind of in and out. Um, kind of mostly played in in nickel situations. Justin Hilliard was out there a lot, and I I thought like Tough Borland won defensive MVP for some reason. Not that he played poorly, but I don't know how you could watch that game and and like consider really anybody other than Hilliard or like Cooper or Tyreek Smith. Yeah, it's like kind of the mantra of this defense was forgotten five star prospects reminding the world that they're five star prospects. Yep, still good, and it's just like. You know, I if you would have asked me before the game, does Jonathan Cooper and Justin Hilliard, who are two people who prop up Ohio State's ranking in the two uh, in the two four seven sports composite team rankings, like sh- should they count um, as five stars? It's like no, probably not. And it's like they went out there and played like it. And you know, it's it's kind of like two lights went on for two guys who are super emotional support pieces to this defense but not necessarily high on production and then all of a sudden both became highly productive and athletic and you know Justin Hilliard climbed the ladder and had a big pick in the Big Ten championship game I'm not saying this is the first time he's contributed he had big moments last year too Um, but I think you could make the argument like Jonathan Cooper you could feel him and that was the thing that we always Mm -hmm. talk about like with Chase Young and the Bosa brothers it's like even if they weren't making the sack you could feel him and Ohio State collectively has had a really good um has done a pretty good job of um, getting pressure, like we noted, just not getting home. Like, I could feel Jonathan Cooper last night, like, watching the game. Like, he he made an impact the entire game. And it's like, oh, okay, so Jonathan Cooper and Justin Hilliard are going to have the best games of their career against Clemson. Uh, Tyreek Smith is going to have the best game of his career against Clemson. Trey Sermon's going to rush for almost 200 yards and leap over people and have offensive face masks as he's ripping defenders' faces off. Like, I, I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah, Chris Olave and – Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson and those guys are good but also too the tight ends caught more passes uh in this game than I think the entire previous decade combined and I don't know if that was just great design um that one throwback to um was it Rucker Rucker. on the one where they yeah that play design was beautiful you know Ryan Day you know it's just like night and day how you feel about this team uh how do they do that in 10 days, man? Like, honestly, from a coaching standpoint, you know, it's one thing to be emotional and get excited, but, like, the design was perfect. The play calls were perfect. The defensive ability to bend but not break was perfect. And the the production they got from guys that really we wouldn't have said – we spent zero time talking about Jonathan Cooper or Justin Hilliard on this podcast, ever. And now it's like those guys – were the heart and soul of a defense dominant defense against maybe the best quarterback of the last 10 years in college football. Yeah. They got just about everybody to max out, which is like that, that made it feel like 2014. And I, I guess on some level you can be nervous. Like, well, can they, can they max out again? It's like, well, that team maxed out 
like in three games, three, three games, games in a row. In a row. So, yeah. yeah. So they can absolutely they can absolutely do it again. They have to do it again, but but I think they can. The one thing that was kind of puzzling to me is like Clemson didn't go after Justin Fields. Like they didn't blitz him. And that was a thing that you could tell like that was the that was the golden ticket to the Wonka chocolate factory too. It was like getting in his face and making him making him nervous in the pocket a little bit, especially cuz he's had a um tendency to hold on to the ball too long. Yeah, it, like I, I looked it up last year, they blitzed him on like fifty percent of his dropbacks, and on Friday night it was I think thirty percent, which is still a decent number, but it's not like Indiana blitzed him like eighty percent of the time. And I thought maybe we'd see that from from Clemson, and and Clemson was down James Skowski in starting middle linebacker who got ejected for targeting. Nolan Turner at starting free safety didn't play in the first half. Tyler Davis, it's a really good defensive tackle, was like banged up in and out of the game. Like they were, they had some injury stuff on that side. Maybe that's why the plan was what it was. But it almost like I, I don't know if Clemson had a plan. It was like they they had all this time to prepare for Ohio State, and and like it was very clear that Ohio State I think has been preparing for this game not just from a mental we want revenge standpoint, but from a tactical standpoint for a long time. And Clemson clearly had not to the point where I wasn't even sure if they planned in the last 10 days because what they were doing didn't make any sense, especially when it comes to trying to slow down Ohio State's offense. The book was out on Ohio State's offense, how you how you slow them down. Indiana and, and Northwestern showed showed everybody it. And, like, Clemson didn't seem to me like they did it. And, like, to Ohio State's credit, it, like, they made them pay in a major, major way. But I'm not so sure, like, Nick Saban's going to sit back and let Justin Fields be comfortable in the pocket and not blitz him. So Justin played out of his mind through six touchdowns, had six incompletions. I, I mean, if you caught him in an honest moment, he might even tell you he was surprised how little he was pressured. And part of that's the offensive line playing really well. But part of it, too, is is Brent Venables like inexplicably not coming after him in the way you expected him to. How much do you think Trey Sermon has to do with that? Probably a fair amount. Like you're worried about them running the ball, so you, you stand back a little bit. Right, is that you're yeah, gonna? You, you bring. You know, I'm just saying, like you bring people, and, not, and then all of a sudden, their running back, who's playing the best of uh, his career, uh, gets to the second level, makes one guy miss, and you're housing it. Like yep. I know that there are there are certain, and, and the fact that Justin Fields, before he took the shot to the rib cage, was running the ball like he was JT Barrett. I mean, the first drive of the game that we got a we got a JT Wright call, didn't we? Uh, yeah, you, you know, and it's like, down. yeah. Um, so like, just the idea that they were able to do that. I think makes sense uh, a little bit, you know, but um, yeah, I can't listen, man. When we, we started this podcast last week to talk about the game, if you would have said Ohio state's going to max out and ring out every ounce of value out of every player on the field, I would have said, yeah, they'll win by 25. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, honestly, because that team that's talented, a hundred percent like buyout, like who didn't play well? The only player that I can think people might not think played well, is Sean Wade. Yeah, um, probably. I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's probably it, and like, no, not the single, not the single amount, but like they they went after Sean and they got some yards doing it. Um, yeah, and and Sean's going to be a major. I mean, him coming back was a major aspect of this Ohio State team, and he's going to have a pretty important bullet point. You know, everybody's like he cost himself a lot of money in the NFL. It's like, okay, dude. The the one matchup that's really going to matter is when he's covering an NFL receiver next week, and like he has that ability to to have a pretty good game and has a chance to show that that is just you know you know it hasn't been the the best year for him, but at the same time like he's still physically capable of doing it. So you know in, in terms of what's ahead for Ohio State right now, that wasn't just oh my god they they found a way to finally beat Clemson and now they just got to go take it in the chin from Alabama like everybody else. That's like. Every ounce of value from every single player. Now I think Ohio State could beat Bama type of performance. And, you know, I think that's a nice segue into thinking, like, what does that mean for Ohio State's program? Because the entire country now, I think, is going to shift to where you put them in your thought process. I think Ohio State now has firmly put itself in a position to, you know, be on the same page as Clemson. Um, and, you know, honestly, if Ohio State ends up beating Bama for the national championship, that will be the, you know, everybody likes to talk about how Ohio State was undisputed in 2014. But you go through Bama and Clemson in the same year and win a national championship, then that puts you in a position to, you know, have the best uh, path to that title that a team could ever ask for. So, um, 
you know, I, I'm, I cannot believe that we're in a position right now talking about the game that the way that we are. I was watching the game. I was dumbfounded the entire time. Um, and now you have a position where, you know, you actually think that Ohio State could beat Bama is a pretty unbelievable result to a game that, you know, a lot of people thought could end really badly in the other direction. Speaking of 2014, Tom Herman just got fired by Texas, um, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> We're going to have – we have until next Monday. January 11th is when the game is going to be played down in Miami. We're going to have a lot of time to dive in, I think, to the matchup with Alabama. I'm going to do another film study. It's going to be great. Let's table it for now. And let's revisit what we talked about going into the game, like these – I don't know, storylines, for lack of a better word. I hate that word, but that's what they are. Um, what it would mean if this happened for Ohio State. And I think we both might have said at the time that there's not much to differentiate between a win and like a blowout win in terms of Ohio State standing in the sport and like what it means moving forward. I feel differently about that now. I do too. Yeah, I think we because were wrong. Like, I think we were wrong on that one. I think it's easy to just say blowout and not really like think about what that looks like, and then uh, you know put yourself in a position now to actually watch it and see them get a hundred percent of the of the talent <laughs> out of their roster. And it's just like it should be a nice lesson, Bill, that in about ten months from now, when we're back on podcasts screaming about resumes and playoffs, how important element it is to have the players, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just. Ohio State not only had the players, but now has a coaching staff that's getting the most out of those players, and that's the reason why they're playing Alabama for a national title. It's like Ohio State's always had the players, but now the development piece, the motivational piece, the game planning piece, it's all there. And when you watch, everybody in the country was watching the game last night, it's just like next year, regardless of what happens against Alabama, you know, short of them losing 62 to nothing, Ohio State has earned that respect as being a team that should get the benefit of the doubt. Like, I cannot believe it, but, like, there were portions of this season where we were having discussions about whether A&M or Ohio State should get in. I had a 45-minute podcast with Andy Staples in the middle of the year comparing Ohio State to Texas A&M, and I thought I was losing my mind. Like, does anybody have eyes? And I kept saying, do you have eyes? Do you know what this team is? And then guess what? Now everybody finally saw their eyes. Because, like, we follow this team intimately. We've covered them from from when these kids were, you know, juniors in high school. So, like, we know what it is. But, like, to finally put it on display against um, one of the best teams in college football with the entire country watching, I think, gives you a unique, a unique perspective of, oh, that's not just the trash team that almost lost to Indiana or the trash team that played well against or didn't play so well against Northwestern. It's like, that's a juggernaut. And, like, that's the thing that people people view Clemson as a juggernaut and Alabama as a ju- Ohio State's a juggernaut every bit as much as those other teams. And I think once you're, like, in, in, you're in a position to see it, it kind of changes your viewpoint moving forward into the following year. So I think Ohio State's season, regardless of what happens against Alabama, is a resounding success. Um, they beat the boogeyman. They got to the team that beats them in every facet. You know, it was an enjoyable experience for them because of all the spice that was going into the game. But the most important thing now is recruits watching it, fans watching it, opposing fan bases watching it, saw what Ohio State is. And I think that, like, now moving forward, at least for the next few years, you've given yourself a little bit of a cushion before you fall back into the discussion of are they better than Alabama? Or, or, I mean, are they on par with Alabama and Clemson? Or are they back in that second tier with Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU? And it's like I think they took a profoundly important step forward into the top tier. And, like, they could take an even bigger step if they end up winning somehow. Um, and then it's then, to borrow the word that Ohio State loves to use, is undisputed. Like, I mean, Clemson and Bama in the same run? Come on. Yeah, no, that, that, that's uh, – I don't – I guess when we were having that conversation the other day, like, I didn't fully appreciate the stakes, or, or maybe it's just a thing that gets crystallized for you when you watch it happen in person. But, like, when – this wasn't 31 nothing. But like like what Clemson did to Ohio State in 2016, but it was almost every bit the same kind of ass kicking. Um, and Clemson's good. Like Clemson, I don't want I don't want, I don't want to do the thing now where like after Ohio State pants Clemson, we say like oh they weren't that good. Like Clemson is good. Trevor Lawrence I think is still the best player. Or he's the best quarterback in college football for sure, for sure. He might be the best player in college football. And they did a really good job against that guy. Um, I think Clemson's defense is very good, and Ohio State went up and down the field on them all game. I think Clemson's defense is probably better than Alabama's defense, um, and Ohio State just marched the ball up and down the field on them all game. So, like that, all of that was legitimate. 
And for some reason, like, I couldn't see that when we were coming into this game. So I think I might have said something to the effect of, like, I think Clemson and Alabama are on their own separate tier. Ohio State's behind them in its own tier. And then there's a soup behind Ohio State. And even if Ohio State won convincingly against Clemson this week, I don't think Ohio State could pull itself up to that tier. Uh, I, I think I was wrong about that. I think this pulls Ohio State up to that tier. Now, if Bama runs Clem- or Ohio State off the field in the title game, I think Bama separates itself from everybody, too. But I, I view... Ohio State on level footing, I think, with Clemson now. Maybe that's making too much out of a one-game sample size, but I thought that was a very legitimizing kind of win for Ohio State, a very legitimizing kind of win for for Ryan Day to call the game that he called against Brent Venables and that defense, and just like he pushed, I mean, the end of the game was a little weird because they were trying to run the clock out and Justin Fields couldn't run, so it got a little clunky, but I thought Ryan Day pushed all the right buttons and had a great plan. Um, redeemed himself from from what he showed against Northwestern and, and a bit against Indiana too, like all of it. Kerry Combs, I thought had had a good plan against Clemson, and and that defense played I think the best game it could possibly play in, in giving up twenty eight points to, to the Tigers. It was, yeah, it was it was a, it was the kind of result that that elevated Ohio State, which is already basically at the top of the sport, elevated itself on Friday night. Can I push back on something? Sure. The one game sample size thing. It's so much bigger than just what happened in, on the field in one game to me. Because, yes, it legitimized it, but what it did is it legitimized everything that we know about the program already. The way that it's accumulating talent, the culture that it has in the program, the resources the program has the passion of the people who support the program and what it means to the people who are a part of the program. All the things that you need infrastructure-wise, mostly built by Urban Meyer, but also maintained beautifully by Ryan Day. And it's just like all the things that you talk about year-round about putting Ohio State in the same category as Clemson is true, but you need to see it with your own two eyes. So, yes, it's a one-game sample size, and yes, Clemson is still... 3-1 3-1 and one against Ohio State since 2013. But this, to me, more so was just proof of what we already knew about the program and now was just a way for the country to kind of see it. But I didn't take them winning one game for me to think that they were on level footing with like Like I said on the podcast before the game, Ohio State has better players. So if you have better players, isn't that the fundamental basic thing that you need to be considered one of the best three programs in the country? So like yes, well I know you have that to a- you have to perform like yes, but you have to perform. And Ohio State hadn't performed up until Friday, like on that yeah, no. up until Friday. Yeah, night. absolutely. No, and I get you. And it's like, but you said one game sample size, as if that's insignificant. I think that all the things that go into getting ready for the, that game, that's all part of it. The result of it is is testimony. But like to me, Ohio State didn't win the game last year, but I thought that was a very legitimizing loss. Like we're not like like talking about um, you know Oklahoma who goes into the playoff and gets their doors blown off, you know. And yes, Ohio State did get their doors blown off in 2016. But anybody who wants to go back and talk about that knows that Ohio State probably didn't belong in the playoff to begin with that year. And you know, it, it's it, it's about what's been built since that time. The 2017 class was still in assembly when that loss happened. And it's like what's in this program now, and what. Um, the level that they're recruiting and coaching and, and everything that's happened, finding the right head coach to replace a legend, all those things, you know, I thought were legitimized last year by going toe-to-toe with Clemson in a game that might have been decided by a targeting call. And, like, now, yes, it's a one-game sample size, but that one-game sample size is just another piece of information in this large bucket of information that we have about Ohio State, which is they have elite-level coaching and elite-level players, elite-level resources, and elite-level program. You know, and I don't know if that's like maybe to us because we're so close to it, it's it's not what we needed. I think it's more so for the for the the ancillary people who are watching it in in Texas and Florida and California and the whole country saw it happen. But like the performance and the way that Ohio State won was shocking. The fact that they got the best of Clemson shouldn't have been shocking. They you know they're built for this. You know what I mean? Do you see what the point I'm trying to make? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, to... no, I, I, I do, and I don't, I don't disagree with any. Like, I, I, I didn't doubt Ohio State's eliteness, um, or the the program, or the culture, or the talent, or any of that. I just didn't know if you put all of that together, if it was 
quite good enough to be on the same level as Alabama and Clemson. And I wasn't even sure, like, what, I, I didn't know if there was a result in this game that could, like, make me change my mind just based off of off of this one game. Um, but it did. And I think it's true. Like, it's it wasn't it's not just one thing. It's been building to this. And I think you're right about last year, too. It's like they didn't get embarrassed last year. They should have won the game last year. They were the better team last year. They played Clemson two, two years in a row, and both times they were the better team. Just so happens they lost the first one. So maybe – Maybe I am putting a little too much on this one game and saying like, oh, that's it. like that's the proof right there because last year they were very good against Clemson. But you too. needed the proof. I'm not trying to yeah. like delegitimize the point that you were making. I just feel like, you know, some people might have thought. I think a large portion of thought, A and M fans thought, you know, maybe because they 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 wanted their team to make the playoff. But you know, I'm sure LSU fans and you know SEC fans are like, yeah, this this team isn't isn't of the same caliber of the teams that you know they they haven't beaten anybody and when they played pretty good teams they look like ass and they're not as good you know and it's like fine all those things are true but like and it's also kind of was reflected in the gambling line a little bit bill the overreactions that we have to one game in the sport when it's such a crazy sport are kind of stupid and like I'm going to try to remind myself of that next year of like four quarters of bad football or things not going well is not an indication of what a team is capable of and you know, we both said take the points, and it was just like, does a team that has 20 more blue-chip prospects on its roster than the other team deserve two scores? No. Like, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, duh. And it's just like, the only time Ohio State will play a team ever that's more talented than them against anybody is Bama. This is the first time they will play a team since 2014 that has more talent on their roster than them. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's the blue? With the, is Alabama ahead of them in the Yeah, the yeah. Puzzle? I think Georgia's actually number one, believe it or not. Um... But Alabama is ahead of Ohio State still. Alabama's been winning the recruiting crown since Nam. I mean, like it's <laughs> you know they yeah, uh, no, it's true. it goes uh, Georgia one, and they have uh, sixty seven blue chip prospects. Alabama two, and they have um, wait a minute. Alabama has more blue chip prospects than Georgia, but Georgia's number one because those blue chip prospects were rated higher. So, like, it's kind of hard to, like, parse through that because if you got a bunch of top 50 players, you might not have as many, but you're, the, the, the elite-level talent carries the weight more. But, like, Ohio State has um, 66 and Clemson has 46. And it's like, that's a pretty stark difference. And we talk a lot about how Clemson develops and gets more out of their team than anybody in the country, and, like, that's still true to this day. But, like, Ohio State has... Um, 66 blue chip prospects on their roster and Alabama has 70. So like now you're talking about a teams that are, are equally built. You've got names like Jordan battle making plays that, you know, a lot of players at Ohio state recruited and wanted like this game is like the first time that Ohio state's going to be playing a team that has more talent on its roster than they do. Um, but like if Alabama is the only team and I guess Georgia, you know, based on these recruiting rankings is um, this is the epitome of the sport. And this is exactly why they play the biggest games because you take the ingredients, like making a pizza, right? Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a podcast of ours if I didn't say pizza. But if you have great pepperoni, like thick cl- uh, sliced pepperoni, high level cheese, sweet sauce, some you know onions, some 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 stuff to put on there, you have the ingredients for a great pizza. It's like no crap, the pizza is going to be good. Now, who makes a better pizza is the battle of the entire country, but. I know that Little Caesars ain't going to win, 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just... <laughs> whoa. Little Caesars has crap toppings. It's a crap pie. Do you think Saban puts garlic and butter on the crust? I don't know that I think that that... I think that's a way to mask poor crust. <laughs> that's a take. <laughs> I think putting too much shit on the pizza crust and like putting flavors or Parmesan cheese... The best pizzas have the most tasty dough. Yeah, for sure. And the best teams have the best players. That that was four to six with A&B. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Let's uh, wrap it up there. Yeah. Ohio State has more five-star prospects than Alabama. Yeah, they do. Two more, 14 to 12. Although, I guess yep. Ohio State, a lot of Ohio State's five-star talent actually isn't playing at the moment, <laughs> which is kind of weird. <laughs> They're all a bunch of young guys. Well, yeah, most, I mean, I think that Ohio players. State moving forward uh, in this composite rankings, like going into next year, is going to be – I think it's going to keep going up. Now, we don't know for sure, like, what it's going to look like because we don't know who's coming and going. And, you know, there's more commitments to be made in the 2021 class. But it's uh, it's building itself to be in this position for the years to come. And it's like Ohio State – this is an interesting take too, Bill. It's like the concept of windows. And you want to talk about how you know you're an elite program. Like, windows at other places are important. Like, you have a three-year window with these players to get this done. It's like Auburn had Cam Newton. It's like they had a window to win a national championship. Ohio State's window was on the tail end. Like, you you could have made the argument that Ohio State's window was at the tail end of its window even last year once they lost in 2019 because the 17 class or the best players from the 17 class moved on. And it's like, okay, now they're one four quarters away from winning a national championship with a worse version of the team that they were a year ago. And then, like, next year, Justin Fields leaves, and it's just like, I don't know what the stats are, but Ohio State might have more blue-chip players on their roster next year than they do right now. And it's like the window is open again. And it's like, I don't know if they're going to win the national championship this year, but they're sure as heck going to play for one in 2023 and 2024 again. Yeah, And it's like a never-ending cycle of – you know, what does this mean for the program? You know what it means? Early signing period. That's what it meant. You know, this means something for columns that you'll read on online and, and what commentators will say during the playoff show next year. And all that stuff's important if it's your team. But the health of the program isn't measured always by what happens in the playoff game. It measures what's coming through the door in, in January. And Ohio State's net class that's coming in in 2021 is insane. And 2022 is going to be insane. It's like their roster is going to be stacked like this for years to come and like Andy Staples made a, a a comment to me about um we always think the things that are currently happening in the sport are going to ch- are going to stay the same but they always inevitably change and it's like based on the way that Clemson is now recruiting and the way that Alabama continues to recruit and the way that Ohio State continues to recruit I don't know what team is even positioned right now to challenge any of those three in the top three the only one is Georgia, and if they get their quarterback situation squared away, um, you know, you never know. But like, they almost lost to Cincinnati, so I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, uh, maybe LSU. They had the number four class in the country. Maybe Oklahoma, who just got Caleb Williams. There are teams that are out there that are situated to be good, but there's a difference between good and very good and like invincible. And there's only three teams in college football that are invincible, and. You get a good game and a revenge game every other year when Ohio State and Clemson play each other and the other one's Alabama and then everybody else is like, who would you even thrown in there at number four? Like the, the separation between these three teams and the rest of the sport I think is wider right now than it's ever been. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I think we should take into account now that Texas is going to hire Steve Sarkeesian. So, you know, Texas could be back. Maybe the team, maybe the team we're looking for is Texas. Uh, I tweeted last night that Urban was at the game uh, scouting his uh, – his quarterback for next year. Is Urban going to draft Justin Fields now based off that one game? Talk about one game sample size. Yeah, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence is undoubtedly going to be the guy. Uh, but I made the joke, like, did the New York Jets win two games on purpose so they wouldn't be scrutinized for passing on Trevor? And I love, it's just like uh, Justin Fields is on the back cover of the New York Daily News. Did you see that? I saw that, yeah. Hey, Jets fans. Yeah, I, but, like, I don't know. Like, four days ago we were having a discussion about whether or not Justin Fields was a – and a legit NFL prospect. You know, didn't we have that discussion about what where you would put him as an NFL prospect in relation to like the last 15 years of quarterbacks dating back to Troy Smith and I, I said like outside of Dwayne Haskins he's the only one that I would consider as an NFL player and is really the best most fit NFL prospect that Ohio State's ever had potentially a quarterback based on size, measurables, um performance in high games, 
you know, arm strength, all the things that every identifiable metric at the NFL draft for a quarterback he exceeds in. Like, I don't even know what you would neg him on, like holding the ball too long. Yeah. You know, and is that stuff that can be coached? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. He's like, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in the draft. I don't know that it should just be inevitability. I think there should be some study there. I thought that coming into the year, um, I stopped thinking that midway through the year. I don't really think that now. I think Trevor is a better prospect than he'll go number one. But I also think that if you don't think Justin Fields is number two, you're kind of crazy. So I think they're going to go one, two. Um, but I don't – I always kind of hate when when college football podcasts like deviate in the NFL talk, especially after a game like this. So I don't want to get too much into that. Um, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just a way to, to illustrate what Fields is. Yeah, yeah. No, he was – I mean, yeah. he needed – he played the worst game of his career against Northwestern. I thought it was worse than the Indiana game. Um, and he needed to bounce back in a major way. Now, a bounce back could have looked like something short of what he did against Clemson. Instead, he went out and threw six touchdowns against six incompletions. Uh, did so with some kind of injury. I, we don't know what it is that it, re- it required him to get quote a couple shots in the medical tent for him to go back out there and play. And then he dropped fifty yard bombs on Jamison Williams and Chris Olave and threw a bullet to Jeremy Rucker in the end zone. Like he was on it on his game more than we've seen him on his game um, at any point in his Ohio State career. And he did it in the Sugar Bowl against Clemson in the College Football Playoff semifinal. Which leads me to this like. They still have to play a game, January 11th, National Championship against Alabama. I think you and I both think they're perfectly capable of winning that game. We'll give our picks later in a week and analyze that game more. But even just doing what they did on Friday night, and this year, they played six games, had three canceled. Like, we didn't know four months ago if there was going to be a Big Ten season this year. And Ohio State somehow finds its way to the playoff and just, like, Boat races Clemson in the Sugar Bowl just destroys them in the Sugar Bowl. It's a Clemson program that Ohio State fans hate, and a head coach and Dabo Swinney that Ohio State fans hate. I, I think like no matter what happens in the national title game, maybe not what like, I guess there's one thing that could happen, but short of them getting completely blown off the field by Alabama, like this game that just happened on Friday night is like a game that people are going to remember for like for decades. I agree. I don't know. It's like really hard to sit here on a podcast right now that Ohio State fans are listening to and saying it's all gravy from here when you're four quarters away from winning a national title. And it's like because like national titles are forever and that's so hard to win. And they are, you know, they are what they are, you know. And uh, so it's kind of a hard discussion to have preemptively. Uh, I think if Ohio State loses to Alabama afterward, you can have engaged in that discussion. And I think that, you know, as you and I sit here, we could say that no matter what happens in this season, uh, short of losing 62 to nothing to Bama, this was a successful season. And even then, it probably still is. Yeah. Um, Alabama would just be a juggernaut. Ohio State lost to the juggernaut, but they are the second best program in college football. Like, that's a successful year. Um, but in terms of program placement, reputation, benefit of the doubt in the future, context in which they're discussed on national television programs and on online, like all the things that fans care about because they're the ones living it and in, engaging in the discourse, Ohio State has exceeded expectations in every regard. Now, going into next year, they're going to have to find a new quarterback, and they've got a lot of people to replace and things to do, and I don't know if they are going to be as good now as they are uh, next year as they are now. You know, Maybe they will, but... You know, I, I don't know that you move on from Justin Fields without taking a pretty big step back at quarterback because I don't know how it gets better than this. Um, but in, in terms of what they needed to accomplish in a year that they didn't even think they were going to have, like getting to the playoff and beating Clemson were like 1 and 1A one of like... If you would have pulled 100 random Ohio State fans before the year, what would be the best thing that could happen in 2020? I think beating Clemson might be a very popular, like the the vast majority of the answers. I think it would have been the one answer, probably in a runaway. Like if you gave the options of you get to beat Clemson and like a separate answer was win the national championship, I think beat Clemson gets more votes than win the national championship. No, you're no, no, that wouldn't. No, I think I think I'm not saying I'm not having that conversation again. That's not what I'm saying. But I think like Ohio State fans, first and foremost, wanted to get Clemson again and beat them. I think I think just saying national championship is too too general. Take that off the table. I think what is the game, the one thing that you could accomplish on the field this year that you would want to accomplish? You could put Heisman Trophy. You could do NFL draft picks. Uh, you could win any individual game. Like, what's the one thing you want to see with your eyes? Beat Clemson is a resounding answer. Yeah, and they did it. 
Yeah, and it's like usually beating Clemson is uh, a prereq to winning a national championship, whether it's the final game or the second to last game. Yep. Um, but like now, it's just like when you and I first started working together, the big bad wolf was Bama. And it's like a wise man once told me it all comes back around in the morning and it's just like, here we go again. You know, and it's like, this is fun. Like there is no more, as, as salty as the Ohio State-Clemson game was because of all the shit talking going into it, there is no more intriguing matchup that you can create in college football than Ohio State-Alabama. Yeah, because I think there's there's a Alabama Clemson fatigue. I think as much as it felt, I guess, a little inevitable coming into this playoff that that's what was going to happen. I don't really think anybody wanted to watch that other than Alabama and Clemson fans. And not that like Ohio State is like going to rally the country behind it because we know Ohio State's not that kind of team. But I, I I think college football at large is probably more interested in seeing Ohio State versus Alabama than Clemson versus Alabama Part Six or whatever it was going to be in the national championship um you know because you want like at the point of the playoff is to get like different teams opportunities and not that like ohio state is third on the list of teams that have had opportunities behind alabama and clemson so like they're not a brand new team but they're new in the context of what's happened the last few years and i do i do agree like it's not it it still feels different like for as good as clemson is and like clemson's like one of the top dogs in the sport and has two national titles like there does feel something a little different about like bama versus ohio state than bama versus clemson i might be making this up and you tell me if i'm wrong but in my head i thought that the highest rated television game or college football game in the history of the sport was alabama ohio state is that like a made-up stat i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure but in my head that that was the fact so like I, I, in terms of compelling matchups, I think that like SEC power versus the biggest outsider that's not in the South. Because like I do think too that Ohio, like Clemson, Alabama is obviously intriguing because both teams are very, very good. But it's also intriguing, Bill, or less intriguing because they're both in the South, and I think that South is kind of like all in it together, even if they're not in the same conference or in the SEC. It's like seeing the best from the North play the best from the South, I think, is inherently intriguing. Then you add in the brand name of Ohio State and how they usually have crazy ratings regardless of what game they're playing, and then you put it against Nick Saban and Bama. It's like I don't think that you could make a more better uh, cocktail for ratings. Only if did it you was look urban. that up? Only if it was urban. I did look it up quickly, but I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't find okay. it. Okay. Yeah, it might not be true, but let's just go with it like it's true because yeah. it's a podcast. And facts don't matter. On Sixty-seven percent of stats are all made up offhand. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay, I got some more writing to do and uh, figuring out how to plan this week out as Ohio State is going to the national championship. It's playing Alabama on January eleventh in uh what's that stadium called what do they call it it's like uh sun life marlins park uh what are the what do they play where do they play that game uh, i don't know man your guess is as good as mine hard rock stadium hard rock stadium hard rock man. stadium it's got a roof now i've never been down there gonna be my first time in south you've never florida. been to south florida never been to south florida wow you should go to the hard rock casino there the entire building is shaped like a, a guitar that sounds fun i'm gonna go try it's to like find a, a, nice, a nice cuban sandwich Oh, yeah, you'll find a few of those. I think that's the move. Got some good kosher cuisine down there, too, let me tell you. Oh, do they? Got some good sandwiches down there, yeah. Yeah. I got yeah, You got to get a good Cuban. Um, yeah, I don't know how long you're going to be down there if you have some time to kill, but maybe take a, a drive down to the Keys. You know, that, that's always fun. I'd love to go down to the Keys. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, uh, maybe I won't go back to Columbus. I'll just go to the Keys and, like, Airbnb it down there for a week. What would be more expensive, driving back from New Orleans to columbus only to either fly or drive back down in 10 days or just going to get like a rundown motel six somewhere in the keys and just kind of you know winging it with the shirt off maybe typing from your hotel room and you know drinking some some heineken on the beach for the next few days you know prepare down there and get a little base tan i, I don't know like if you said i'm only going to stay in motel sixes <laughs> they leave the light on for you yeah 41 dollars a night i think that you could make the case that you could stay down there so, like, if the uh, CEO of the company is listening, consider, I think we should start a petition, let Landis stay in Florida, um, you know, and get yourself a, a po' boy if you haven't gotten one down there in New Orleans. I have you can hit, You can hit Orange Beach. Am I getting this right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah uh, here we go. You, you want to hear the saddest story ever? Uh, that I'm not there with you? Well, besides that, of course. Uh, I yeah. went uh, 
on on New Year's Day, I was going to go meet uh, Ryan Ginn, former Ohio State beat writer who lives down here in New Orleans, uh, for a nice for a nice po boy. He's a he's a Louisiana native. He was going to steer me in the right direction to get a po boy. Went and met him at a spot called uh, Parkway Bakery uh, mm-hmm. here in New Orleans. Pulled up to the front door. Place was closed. New Year's Day. I'm heartbroken. Yeah. So I haven't had a po- I've had my beignets. I had my coffee. Um, had Did you some- go to Cafe Du Monde? I did, but there were a million people there, so I walked down the street with the Cafe Beignet instead because it's the same thing. It might actually be better than Cafe Du Monde. Are they like affiliated, or is it just like the same concept? No, somebody just took that idea and built a restaurant a block down the street. That's great. Oh, you're like, yeah, everybody, every jackass in America is going to be standing in line here, so we'll just open the place for the ones who don't want to wait. I think is a genius idea. Yeah, the line was around the around the corner for Cafe Du Monde. I was like, nope, I'll go to Cafe Beignet. Well, what's the draw there? Because you're a coffee person, and you actually drink Cafe Du Monde coffee out of a can from Columbus, don't you? I do, yeah. There's an international grocery store in Columbus that sells it. It's the coffee with chicory in it, which is like a, a some kind of root, I think, that like changes the flavor a little bit. Um, I really enjoy it, yeah. And I get so, to, but do, are people waiting in line at Cafe Du Monde for their coffee, or are they waiting in line to eat their donuts? No, they're waiting in line for the beignet and like the Instagram photo that says they're at Cafe Du Monde. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've done it. Uh, we created one of the greatest uh, story ideas in the history of mankind. My, mankind at that restaurant. Don't you remember? Yeah, the road trip that we did after the twenty fifteen yeah. or twenty fourteen national man. title game. Maybe I'll do Five that years. in the next week. The possibilities yeah. are endless for me between now. And Monday, January 11th. But you know what's going to happen? There's a possibility that you're going to be face down in the ditch somewhere in, in Biloxi by the time this yeah, podcast is over with. What's actually is going to what's actually going to happen is I'm just going to drive back to Columbus and be super tired, and then figure out how I'm getting to Miami next week. But yeah, it's fun to dream about cooling in the keys for the next week. Yeah, while hopping on the Zoom with Ryan Day. But I don't think that's going to happen. But Ohio State will be in Miami, January 11th. Ohio State versus Alabama. We'll have more shows coming later this week. More coverage at the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/four-dash-six. Get you signed up. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us all year. We're into. Our, I don't think we ever said like Happy New Year in the last episode. I think we should have done that and thank people for sticking with us. Yeah, um, Happy New Year, guys. Throughout a weird, uh, weird twenty twenty into twenty twenty one, Ohio State is in the national title game. Sugar Bowl was wild, and I think the national title game is going to be just as entertaining, if not more so. So, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys later in the week. Mm-hmm.